you guys could remain standing for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Good morning. Well, at this time, the kids are dismissed for Kids Church. That is walkers up on up to second grade. You can go. Your teachers are back there with a the blue lanyard on. And you can dismiss your kids at this time uh, for that. And for those of you above second grade, you're in here with us. All right. And we'll go ahead and open the Bible together and praise the Lord. So for those of you who are over uh, seven years old, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's where we're going uh, this morning as I get myself situated up here. Well, church planting is a lot of fun because in church planting, you get to do a lot of things for the very first time as a church together. Today is no exception to that. <laughs> we <all> right. Uh, <laughs> as we celebrate the Lord's Supper for the first time today, that's a really exciting thing. It's a really good thing. I wanted to start off, I'm, I'm reading from a just a, a, this is actually a seminary textbook. I know that's like got you all really excited right there. Let's read from a textbook. But I just want to read this because he has a definition of a local church. I just want to, you to see what's happening here. It says, local churches are led by pastors, who are also called elders, served by deacons, possess and pursue purity and unity. They exercise church discipline, develop strong connections with other churches, and celebrate the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. They're equipped by the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts for ministry. These communities regularly gather together to worship the triune God, proclaim his word, engage non-Christians with the gospel, disciple their members, and care for people through prayer and giving. They stand both for and against the world. The reason why I wanted to read that to you this morning is because whether it's this book or or other textbooks or anything— you will be hard-pressed to find any Protestant definition of a local church that does not include the practice of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The practice of baptism and the Lord's Supper is something Christians have been doing since Jesus himself instituted it. Both of those things. It's a part of what it means to be a believer as we practice that together as a local church. And as we do that today, as Redemption Hill Church, this is the first time we've done this. And I don't want you to miss that what's happening as we do this in this moment is we are sowing ourselves into a deep and long-standing tradition 
of Christendom. And that's a beautiful and amazing thing, that a group of people in the middle of central Ohio get to partake in something that people of all ethnicities and all of the world and different cultures have been doing to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what you get to do today. And that's an amazing thing. And I want you to see that that's a part of what it means to be in the local church. And for us, this is a big milestone. This is, isn't just a checkbox, but it's something that we get to do together as a local church for the very first time, but certainly will not be the last time. We will continue to practice the Lord's Supper on a regular basis here at Redemption Hill Church because we want to continue to remember and proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is awesome. And that is really, really good news. And so as we do that, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul addresses the Lord's Supper today. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 34. So 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. And I want you to catch just three truths, three realities that this text gives us this morning. That when we practice the Lord's Supper, at least three things are happening every time. One, we are being united. Unity is a huge part of the Lord's Supper. You're all coming together. We're taking this with one another because we believe in the one death and resurrection of Jesus, and we're united by that. The second thing is that we are being reminded. We're being reminded of that death and resurrection of Jesus, and that's what he will tell us here. And then finally, we'll see that we are examined. We'll see that we're examined primarily by ourselves, but what the Lord's Supper gives us is the opportunity to just slow down and take a strong examination of our own hearts and where we are with the Lord. And those are the three things that I think happen every time you take this. And there's other things that are happening as well, and I'll try to point to those as much as I can in today's sermon. But in one sermon, this is what we have. And we're going to look at those three truths, those realities that we are united, reminded, and examined when we come to this table. And don't worry, by the end of it, I will walk you through exactly how we're going to do that this morning. I'll say up front at Redemption Hill Church, if you know Jesus, you are free to the table. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, you, if your conscience allows, can come and take the Lord's Supper together with us this morning. But I'm going to go into that a little more detail of what that looks like and and should I or should I not take the Lord's Supper this morning here as we work through the sermon. So first, to get us started, I want to read the entire passage and then we're going to walk through just little bit by little bit. So picking up in verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, it tells us this. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you do, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why, the, this is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. But the other things, I will give directions when I come. That is the word of the Lord. And that is what Paul had to say to this Corinthian church who is coming together and celebrating the Lord's Supper in a really terrible kind of way. So actually, even as we see our first point this morning, that we are united when we take the Lord's Supper, what we want to see is that we're not given a good example of that unity in this passage. We're actually given a really, really bad one. When we say that we're united in the Lord's Supper, it's through the sins of the Corinthians that we see that Paul and the apostles and Jesus desired a united church when they took this together. What was happening in their practice is the rich were dividing themselves from the poor. Now that might have actually even been physically because in Roman customs sometimes the rich would, would eat in one part of the house and they would outcast the poor or the slaves to eat in another part of the house. Or it may just be that they were all bringing their own food. Now it seems that they were all eating at the same time but there was some kind of division that's happening. What seemed to be happening is people were bringing their own food to this feast and the rich were refusing to share what they had with their poor brothers and sisters in Christ. And because they were refusing to do this, Paul was condemning them. He actually just says that outright. I mean, what an opener to hear from a spiritual mentor from you. I mean, what a gut punch for them. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. You, your practice of the Lord's Supper is so despicable, is so, is so bad, it's so dishonorable, I cannot even commend it. In fact, in verse 20, he tells them, I can't even call this the Lord's Supper. What you are doing, you can't even, it can't even be called the Lord's Supper. What, what conviction to bring to them. Listen, you can take the bread, you can take the cup, you can even say the right words when you're doing it. But if you're divided when you do this, if you ostracize the poor, the Bible tells us, I can't even call that the Lord's Supper. We can't even see that that's true or what is right. See, he would say this because the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, listen to what Paul says about Jesus. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Paul is saying, if you are taking the Lord's Supper and that's who you're remembering, you cannot live contrary to that. You cannot live in your own wealth while other people are suffering in poverty. You cannot say that you're following that Jesus because that Jesus in his wealth and his richness in the kingdom of God became poor for our sakes. He humbled himself and became a man for us and died a criminal's death on a cross. And that's what we remember when we do this. He's saying you can't possibly be remembering that death if you're ignoring these people. 
See, we have to be a united church. In Isaiah's prophecy of the new kingdom, of what Jesus was ushering in and bringing in, listen to how he describes it in Isaiah 55, verses one through three. He says, come everyone who thirst, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. For why do you spend your money on which is not bread and your labor for which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, the new kingdom, the picture that it's painting is of this wedding feast that we'll have one day. In Revelation 19, we're told that, that there will be this wedding feast and, and, they, and the Bible tells us, blessed is everyone who's invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that everybody gets to come and they get to drink of the, of the river that flows directly from the throne of God. They get to eat without money, without price, without anything. Why? Because Jesus has paid the way. Jesus has paid the debt that we had. That's what you're saying. And so Paul's looking at these. He's like, don't you see what you're celebrating looks nothing like the kingdom of God? Because that's what we do when we celebrate this cup. We take this table. We celebrate a future reality that is coming one day where every Christian will come that they just talked about in that video of Revelation 7-9. Every ethnicity, every tribe, every nation, every kingdom will come gathered around the throne of Jesus. And Revelation 7, it tells us, will come and eat that feast and they will proclaim that salvation belongs to our God. And that's what you do when you take of this table. Well, we'll see in the next passage in, in verse 26, he says, when we take this, when we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are a picture of a future reality that is guaranteed and sealed. One day, every tribe Every nation will gather around the throne of God and we will feast in Zion forever. That's what we get to look forward. And that's what this tiny little wafer and a small little cup of juice represents. We come to this table not by our own merit. We come because the debt has been paid by Jesus. And when we come like that, we have to come united because none of us can say, I did anything to get to the table. My seat at the table was bought for me by somebody else, by the precious blood of Jesus, not by silver or gold, which then frees us as Christians, those of us who may have been blessed with wealth, to share freely and abundantly at the table. To not ostracize and push people out, but rather say, this is the moment we get to come and we get to be united around the table of Jesus. And it's pointing to that future day. So we have to see that if we take this, we must be a united people taking of this bread and this cup. Because if our unity is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see that that unity proclaims the Lord's death until he returns. It tells a story of what's happening. Every time we take this, we're telling a story of what God has done and what God will do. So the Lord's Supper promotes unity because it reminds us of that gospel. And that's what we get to see in the next few verses. In verse 23, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, the Lord's Supper reminds us of a past event. It reminds us of the death of Jesus. But we, we also get, in this passage, we get to point back to the first time. It's not just Redemption Hill's first time supper, uh, celebrating the supper, but it points us back to the first time Jesus and his disciples did that. You see, they were at the Passover meal. This is something that Jews celebrated once a year, and it remembered a specific event in Israel's history. When Israel was enslaved by Egypt and God wanted his people to be set free and Pharaoh refused. If you can maybe remember for Sunday school or if not, I'll just try to abbreviate the story for you. God had to send 10 different plagues because Pharaoh refused to let God's people go so they might be free. And he sent nine plagues of of various things ranging from uh, uh, the river, uh, uh, the Nile River being turned into blood to gnats to to all these boils on people's skins, to all these terrible things, but none of them would cause Pharaoh to relent. And so God, because Pharaoh would not relent, sent one final plague, the 10th plague, and he said, I will send the angel of the Lord throughout Egypt. His judgment would come throughout Egypt, and he would take the firstborn from every household. But to his people, to Israel, he said, go and take a lamb without spot or blemish, and you're going to take this lamb and you're going to sacrifice this lamb to me. And you're going to take the blood of that lamb. And you're going to take the blood of that lamb and you're going to put it over your doorpost of your home. And tonight, when you sit in your home, God's judgment is literally going to come over Egypt. But he's going to pass over every door that has the blood of the lamb. I want you to put yourself in that. As that judgment came over, you would have heard the wails and the distress of Egypt that night as each mother's firstborn was taken from her by the judgment of God. And you would have sat there knowing that the blood of the lamb covers my doorpost and God has passed over me. And when Jesus sits down with his disciples and he points them back to that day, that's what they're remembering as they're taking that meal and he takes bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. And he takes a cup and he says, this is the blood of a new covenant. He's establishing a new supper that we come together and we remember. And he is saying, I'm the lamb. I am the lamb and God is going to pour out his wrath on me, his judgment on me. And forever who is found in Christ Jesus, the judgment of God is going to pass over them. And that's what we're celebrating. That's what Jesus was, was passing back to them. And he's showing that and he's saying, this is what happens. And so he says, what does this bo- bread represent? It represents my body broken. What does this blood represent? His blood poured out for sinners. And if you are found in Christ Jesus, you put your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, the judgment of God will pass over you. And that's the promise that's happening. That's the new covenant. And he's saying, we get to celebrate this over and over again. And it's reminding us of that truth that that God is passing over us in his judgment. Now in this, we have in like a lot of church tradition, like a lot of things in in Christendom, a lot of disagreements of what does the body or the bread really represent or what does the cup really represent? And we can see like our Roman Catholic friends would say that the the uh, that Jesus is like there. He's somehow in these like bomb shelter cups that we have over here. He's he's in the bread themselves, he's in the juice itself. Or we have others who 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 say like he's in it, under it, through it. It's this like really confusing thing because they're trying to hold together uh that, but 
not be Roman Catholic. But then there's the typical Protestant view. And our, our view is simply this. It's an understanding that this is a symbol. This is a memorial to what Jesus has done. That, that, that this symbolizes that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. That's where he's at. Or he, is, he has gone to prepare many mansions for us. That he intercedes for us as he sits at the right hand of God. That his spirit dwells within us now. But my fear in our view, in our view we call maybe the symbolic or memorial view, that, that, that this is just a wafer, that this is juice, is that we can over-symbolize that a little bit. And here's what I mean by that. It's almost like uh, wearing a block O, I know this may be really fresh from yesterday, versus actually being in the stadium. And here's what I mean by that, right? Like you can wear a symbol of your favorite sports team, but you don't like get caught up in the moment when you're just like walking around with a hat that has a block O in it. But when you're sitting in the shoe and that crowd is cheering and you can feel the electricity going on, man, a bad call happens and you're like, oh, come on! You get caught up in the moment. When, when some of that touchdown happens, you're, woo, right? And you're excited and you're, you're pumped up about that and you see that happening. What I want to say is we need to be careful. We need to be careful that when we do this, that it's not just some kind of like checkbox. We need to understand that when we do this, that Jesus is present here. That he is spiritually present. His spirit lives in you. And it lives in you because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's the only way, that's the only way the holy God could dwell in his people. This is a special means of grace for us. We want to see that. Just like we would say the preaching of the word. Man, we were singing those songs. We're singing about Jesus. And I'm lifting my hands up. I'm, why? Because we're getting caught up in that. We're getting swept away in that. And I want you to know, I want you this morning, as you take this cup, if you take this bread, get swept up in it. Understand that Jesus is present. This isn't just a wafer. This isn't just juice in the sense that you are, you are being united to Jesus and to your brothers and sisters of Christ. You're sowing yourself deep into a tradition that Jesus started 2,000 years ago. And Christian after Christian after Christian has come and got to come to this table, this table not by merit, but by what Jesus has done. See, the fear as we come to this table, my fear for us as we come and we just say, ah, oh, you know, I got a lot going on in life, nothing happens, and we just take of it. And we don't do what Paul tells us to do here in the latter half of our passage this morning. We don't examine ourselves. See, as we are reminded of what Jesus has done, the only way we can take this in a worthy manner is if we examine ourselves. The next part of our passage tells us, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of our Lord. Little person, examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For the body eats and drinks, uh, for whoever, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and somehow died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But if we judge by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, eat. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give directions when I come. So what we see here is, 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 is as we look at this, that the Corinthians, they had a problem. People were getting sick and some were even dying. That's a big deal. That's terrifying. And Paul is telling them, you know why that's happening to you? You know why people are getting sick and dying in your midst? 
because you are taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That's something that should cause some rightful fear in us. That's something we should look at and say, what in the world does that mean? And what does it mean to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? Because I don't want that. I don't want to get sick. I'm not ready to go. We just had another baby. My wife is saying, you better not take that in an unworthy manner. You cannot leave me alone with these three kids. (laughs) So we've got to ask, what does that mean? What does it mean to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? Well, I think the text shows us See, as, as we look at this, we can, we can see that he tells us what happens if we take it in an unworthy manner, that we're guilty concerning the body and the blood of our Lord. Therefore, let a person examine himself, and so eat of the cup and drink of the water. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So what it means to take it in a worthy manner would be we rightfully discern the body. Now, that, that's a controversial statement in the scriptures. Like, what does the body mean? I'll just kind of run to the, for us as Protestants, the two kind of things that happen. Some would say it's, it's using the idiom, and a lot of you have probably heard before, the body of Christ, meaning the church. So if you take the Lord's Supper and you're not considering or discerning the church and your unity within the church, that you are taking that in an unworthy manner. And they would cite, I think, and it's, it's a, if, you, if you fall here, that's cool. I'm going I'm to fall the second one, but, but that's okay. And, 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 the, and what they would cite to point to that would be the Corinthian church is clearly divided. We see that right in the beginning. They're clearly divided. The rich are doing this really terrible thing. They're literally not sharing their food with their brothers and sisters. And he's saying because they're doing this, not discerning the body of Christ, not thinking about other people, they're drinking and eating judgment on themselves. I would say, just to take the context in a little bit more, that he has said that if we, if we eat or drink in an unworthy manner, that we sin against the body and blood of our Lord. And then says the without discerning the body, and I would suggest that he's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. That if we take the Lord's Supper without discerning the sacrifice of Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross for sin, we're taking that in an unworthy manner. Now, here's the good news about those two views. You can kind of land on either one, and it's okay, because here's why. You kind of land in the same place, right? If you see it my way, and you say, he's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus— then you would see what I said earlier in the sermon. That, you, that means you can't ignore the poor in your midst because you can't take this thinking about the God who, who was rich became poor for our sake. You can't, you can't do that. Right? You just couldn't land there. Or if you take the other side, you would consider the body of Christ and you make sure you're united with them. See, what I want to actually suggest is this, is there's actually only one worthy way to take the Lord's Supper. There's only one worthy way. And that is examining your own heart in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only worthy way you can take that. So we would ask, so if we're at Redemption Hill Church, who should or who should not take the Lord's Supper? Well, if you're not a Christian, you should not take the Lord's Supper. It's not because we want to exclude you. It's because if you are not a Christian, you do not trust in the death of Jesus. And if you don't trust in the death of Jesus, you cannot possibly take this in a worthy manner because it's only the death and resurrection of Jesus that makes us worthy to come to the table. And if you haven't done that, then you are taking this in an unworthy manner. Now, are you saying, well, so if I'm a non-Christian and I take this, am I gonna get sick and die? And maybe you wanna come up here and test God. I don't know. 
I don't know what God's going to do to you if you come up here as a non-Christian and eat these wafers and drink this cup. I'll tell you what, these things are like made to last forever. It's probably not good for any of us. I don't even know. I'm kind of trusting the Lord in that anyway. But here's what I would tell, tell you is this. It is actually, what the Bible tells us here is, is, is that God is actually disciplining his children when they get sick and when they die. Not the non-believer, if you look at that. Because he tells us in the passage, but when, verse 32, is where I'm picking up, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along by the world. In Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, it tells us this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves and a father in whom he delights. Christian, if you feel the conviction of God on you this morning, if you're unsure whether or not you should be taking this because you're living in maybe some habitual sin, let today be the day of your repentance and your restoration. Let today be the day where you forfeit your life to Jesus anew, where you say, I'm done running, I'm done living this life, and you would repent to Jesus, and then I would say, come and take this in a worthy manner because you're taking it, examining yourself. But if you were sitting there and you're saying, I am not letting go, this is my sin, and I'm not letting go, and I'm not willing to repent of it, then brother, stay where you're at. Don't eat and drink judgment on yourself. You are inviting the Lord's discipline into your life. If you are a Christian and you're living in unrepentance sin, if you're living that way and you're just, man, you're sitting here like, I'm not giving it up. Don't, don't take this. Because that's, I think, what he's saying. If you're sitting here and you've got a disagreement between you and a brother or, or sister in Christ, and yeah, married couples, that includes you. Reconcile. And then come and take this today. You can reconcile in your seat. And you might say, we, I know we need to talk about this, honey, more when we get home, but I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to, I'm ready to repent. Let's go. Let's take this Lord's Supper together and let's commit right now. When we get home, we're going to find peace. You got that brother or sister in Christ and you have a disagreement going on? Now, you might have to look at him and say, hey man, I know we got problems and we might need to hash this out later, but we're going to commit to peace right now and let's go and take this Lord's Supper together. That's what I'm trying to say. is the beauty of the Lord's Supper. The beauty of it is it allows us and gives us the opportunity to do that every time we take it. To examine ourselves and say, is there, is there anyone that I am not reconciled with? Is there anyone here? Am I living in unrepentant sin? And leave it at the altar of Christ. Go boldly to the throne of grace. Go to the high priest who sympathizes with all of your weaknesses and know that he is full of mercy and grace for you. And put your faith and trust in Jesus. Take it in a worthy manner, but that worthy manner is not taking it according to your own merit. It's taking it according to the death of Jesus. And that's the wonder and the beauty that we get to see in taking the Lord's Supper. That's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. Again, I think for a lot of us, we can kind of look at this and say, like, what's going to happen if I take it unworthy? Am I going to go home and get sick? Like, I don't know. God's discipline can manifest itself in different ways. But, But I do believe you are opening yourself to the discipline of God if you take this cup and you take this bread as a believer and you disregard the sacrifice of Jesus, if you do this and not discern and examine the body of Christ broken for you. So what does this look like? This is actually an interesting. I was thinking about this week, and, and I've actually, I don't think I've ever had anybody do this for me. I think this is such a solemn thing sometimes, we, and it's, 
maybe overly individualized in our Western culture a little bit. I don't know that I have anybody really walk through for me how they examine their own heart personally. So I'm gonna pull back the curtain on my life for just one second, and I want you to know this, this is what your pastor does when he takes the Lord's Supper. Because when Jesus' disciples asked them how to pray, they didn't give them a book on prayer. He showed them how to pray. And that's what I wanna try to do for you now. I want to just hand you a book on this. I just wanna show you this is, this is what I have done as examining the scriptures, examining my own heart every time I take the Lord's Supper. As I sit and I take a moment to examine myself and I ask myself those kinds of things that we say. Is there anyone in the body of Christ that I'm covenanted together with today that I am not reconciled with? Do we have, do I have problems? Am I living in some kind of unrepentant sin that I'm not willing to give up? And I, in that moment, if there is anything in that moment, I commit myself to reconciling that. So sometimes there may be times in my life where I don't take the Lord's Supper because one of those things is true and I just believe I, I can't take this until I go make this right. And I obey my consciousness and sometimes I say, Lord Jesus, I'm gonna commit to making this right and I'm gonna go and take you to your, your table in a worthy manner, understanding that you, you've done this. And I can't tell you when to do that. There's some of that you've gotta pray. You've gotta know this is what this looks like. But I would say commit yourself to doing what Jesus would have you to do in that. And then what I try to do is I try to use a very specific text of scripture to help me do that. Because I know this, I can't take this in a worthy manner on my own. There's nothing about Josh that makes him worthy to come to this table. Nothing. So the passage that typically runs through my mind is 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it says this, For our sake he made him who, to be sin, who, know, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I memorized that when I was a, a boy in Awana <laughs> a long time ago, and it's just stuck in my brain ever since. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And I sit there in my seat, and I pray something like this, Lord Jesus, there is nothing about me that makes me worthy to take this. There is nothing about me that makes me worthy to partake in your body broken for me, and your blood poured out for me. Absolutely nothing. But God, by your grace and your kindness, You made him who knew no sin to become sin for me. And that if I put my faith and trust in Jesus, I get to be a part of the righteousness of God. So God, I want to take this supper this morning, not by my own merit, but the merit of Jesus. That he did what needed to be done, that I might obtain the righteousness of God. And I take this, and listen, you know what's awesome in that moment? I get to preach the gospel to myself in that moment. I want you to preach the gospel to yourself in that moment. Here's what this means. You are righteous. You are made right before God. You're his son. You are his daughter. He madly loves you. You are clean. You are pure. You are holy. Why? Because you've been washed by the blood of the lamb who has slain. And you get to claim that when you take this bread and this cup. I am holy because you have made me holy. And that's what it means to take it in a worthy manner. No pastor gets to come up here because he's holy enough. Nobody. We come here because Jesus is holy enough. And in his kindness towards us, he has wrapped himself, wrapped us in his righteousness. 
And we are in him and in Christ through our belief and repentance.